Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here. Episode number 52, which I'm going to call The Noble Savage. Here you have uh, Humphrey Bogart playing Rick Blaine, the proprietor of Rick's Cafe American, in the iconic movie Casablanca. We're going to delve into that today, Casablanca, because we're in a theme. And the theme is we're going to communicate in a sophisticated and uh, appropriate fashion where I'm going to be able to share with you, my viewers and listeners, what I think is uh, relevant. And we're going to do it in a way that is uh, completely, um, shall we say, acceptable. Acceptable. We, we learned a lesson in episode 50. Tanner, good morning. How are you today? Doing good. How about you? Did you have a statement about uh, episode 50? Yes. So we have some good news. Episode 50, I did appeal it um, for the medical misinformation and it was accepted. So if you by any chance missed the episode and you didn't uh, go over to Rumble or any of the audio platforms to listen, you can catch it right on YouTube now. Episode 50 is finally up. And I want to say thank you, Tanner, because you see Tanner is of the generation where he knows that such things can be appealed. He did this on his own. This is what we would call being a very good co-worker. He had an initiative. He did it on his own. He didn't ask for permission. He didn't brag. He didn't. He just went and got the job done. Oh, as they say, we haven't seen that spirit here since 1969. We love that. Thank you very much for doing that. I hope you'll like it. And please go back and watch it because it's led to a change of thinking, a change of thinking which is, in the last episode, episode 51, we started out with about two minutes of French underground radio transmissions from the Free French in England to the French underground in France who were fighting the Nazi tyranny. The Nazi tyranny, and who were the Nazis? The Nazis were a political party, and what was their ideology? Using science to create a master race a genetically and technologically superior master race, a master race using science and using genocide to remove from the population what they deemed as being undesirables, which was far more than Jewish people. It was anybody that didn't agree with them. Let's just put it this way. If you believed in God, they were going to get to you because what was really going on here? What was really going on? We had a scientific humanist religion called Nazism that was using science in pursuit of an, a higher man, an, an, a, a master race, a master race using science and genetics. Wow. In Casablanca, this beautiful movie was the story of one man's journey, one man's journey from narcissism to altruism. It's a story about Rick and his love affair with Ilsa and his involvement with the constabulary and how this all played out. And I remember seeing this movie for the first time and I recognized, you know what made me think of this movie? I was in the live chat and someone asked me and I was trying to stay out of the live chat because uh, please call me crazy episode last Friday night I was on with Royce and I don't like to get too involved in the live chat. So for the people that are watching and go, why wasn't Professor Penn commenting? Well, I'm a guest. I'm please call me crazy. So I don't want to be a ball hawk. But there was one question I had to respond to. 
one of our very loyal participants in the community said, has Tanner watched The Godfather? And I have to ask that question. <laughs> I have not yet. It's great. Homework, please. Yeah. We're going to get, and you know what I realized? With Casablanca, because it's so old, it's one of the best movies ever made. I think we can get away with putting most of the clips up as I comment upon them without getting uh, censored by YouTube. And, of course, this is a Jewish man talking about Nazis. How can they take me off for that? That's the whole point of globalism, is to make sure that Nazism never happens again. Nazism is now regulated, like cigarettes. The world's in control of it, right? Isn't that interesting? Good morning to you. Oh, excuse me. It's morning here. Good evening to you. Hope everything's well with you. And let me start out with this. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. I want to thank Free People Radio, Radio, for providing us with this platform, a platform where we can all participate as editors, taking the things that we like and sending them out to our network because we're a political movement. Free People Radio is part of Free People of America. We're a political movement. We're American citizens interested in the well-being of the American people. We want our government to only be concerned about issues of well-being, the general welfare. The rest of it, oh, that's somebody's fantasy. I want policies that are good for my children. Target.com, that's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com, Target.com. Everything you need for your vehicles, tires, tires, and tires. Everything you need for tires. You have to buy tires. Please go to Target. Buy them there, and you're funding this broadcast, this transmission. We need your help, and I'm not afraid to ask for it. We're going to make Tire get better and better. We ask you to join us and support us. Thank you. PrecinctStrategy.com. Hey, every time we're going to mention it, because you could be the person. You, you're listening to me. Good evening to you. My words could find soil inside of you tonight such that tomorrow you're interested in getting off the bench and getting in the game of politics. And if that's the case, go to precinctstrategy.com and you're going to find a tutorial on everything you need 
to get in the game. And you're going to find a place where you can communicate with other people who feel the same as you do. It's a very sophisticated site. It's for those of us that want to work on enhancing the well-being of the American people. Well, Rick Blaine's a noble savage. A noble savage. We're going to talk about noble savagery and the movie Casablanca and how important it is in American history. You know, we're going to put it into a context of time and what it was accomplishing. People call it the greatest propaganda movie ever filmed. I would just say it's just a great movie. I've watched it many, many times. It's the kind of movie you can watch over and over again. So I'm going to ask a question. Well, I'm going to ask Tanner. Tanner, have you watched Casablanca? No, but I've heard only good things about it. But you've never watched it. I've never watched it. We're going to get a lot of it today. Okay. You can add it to your list. After Godfather. Yeah. I think no, got, I wondered. What did you say, partner? I'm sorry. We got Godfather and Tombstone, so now I'm going to have to add uh, Casablanca on there. I'm glad you're so busy. Must be because you're a dad. You know, uh, for those of us that uh, have the time to watch these movies, you know, the lines between reality and fiction get blurred. And they get blurred because these ideas become so much a part of us. And people criticize that. But I'm not so sure it's a, a valid criticism. This is art. Casablanca is art, and it's art affecting me, affecting you, and transmitting a message to us. And I want to share that with you because it's been very influential in my life. I'm recognizing that now. I think the first time I saw Casablanca, I was uh, on Warwick Street in St. Paul. I was probably 12, 13 years old watching it on a black and white television, which was great because it was in black and white. I wasn't losing anything. In, my, in the safety of my parents' basement, in that musty-smelling basement, uh, with that couch that was worth a negative $5 laying on there, and watching this and just being transfixed by what? The beauty of Ingrid Bergman, who plays Ilsa, and the masculinity, that, that which we would call toxic masculinity now, but the noble savagery of Humphrey Bogart, who was, if you have, have you heard of Humphrey Bogart? I have not. Oh, that's just great, isn't it? You've heard of the movie. Humphrey Bogart, Tanner, was the male icon of his era. So you're not hearing of Humphrey Bogart. Have you heard of Brad Pitt? Yeah. Okay. Have you seen a Brad Pitt movie? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Who is the male icon of your generation for the movies? Uh... I'm terrible with actors' names, so this is why this is bad. But the guy that plays Deadpool, I think it's Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah, I would I, say him. I know who he is. Yeah. I have seen Deadpool. <laughs> I have seen Deadpool. I've seen it more than one time because it's so funny. And he actually has a sequel. And I've seen that more than one time. Yet you have not seen Casablanca. We need to cross-pollinate, okay? I'm keeping up with the current. Would you please go back and realize this movie, Casablanca is the most current movie. If you've never seen it and you're in this community, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm, that's not my thing. I'm not into should statements. I don't like should statements. But I am going to say that from my perspective, from the Professor Penn perspective, this movie is the most relevant possible movie that we could be watching today. Far more relevant than anything Hollywood is serving up to us today. 
This is a different kind of Hollywood. This movie came out in 1942. But before we get there, I just, something came across my news feeds I had to get into. Can you play this two minute and 10 seconds on Wild Horses? Not a lot of action there. It's not a movie. Those are wild horses. Wild horses. Wild. They're living in the wild, and they're living in the Theodore Roosevelt Park. It's a federal land in North Dakota. They've been living there for a very long time, these wild horses. Uh, Park officials have branded the horses as livestock. The park service is revising its livestock plan and writing an environmental assessment to examine the impacts of taking no action or to remove the horses altogether. Removal would entail capturing the horses and giving them first to the Native American tribes and later auctioning the animals or giving them to other entities. Another approach would include techniques to prevent further reproduction and would allow those horses to live out the rest of their lives in the park. Isn't that kind? Sterilize them. Isn't that great? Last year, Park Superintendent Angie Richmond told the Bismarck Tribune, Bismarck is a city in North Dakota, for those of us that are increasing our geography skills, told the Bismarck Tribune that the park has no law or requirement for the horses to be in the park. Regardless of what decision is ultimately made, the park will reduce its roughly 200 horses to 35 to 60 animals under a 1978 environmental assessment of the population objective. She would like the park to use science to properly manage the horses. Wow. Now, these horses have been there since Teddy Roosevelt went up into North Dakota to go hunting, and he said, well, this is a great place for a federal park. In the 1880s, Roosevelt hunted and ranched there as a young man in the badlands of what is now western North Dakota. The western tourist town of Medora is at the gates of the national park that bears his name, Theodore Roosevelt National Park. 
Isn't that great? Roosevelt looms large in North Dakota, where a presidential library in his honor is under construction near the park. A legislative push in 2019 that was championed by Governor Doug Burgum, you know, to set up this library. Burgum has offered for the state to collaborate with the Park Service to manage the horses. Earlier this year, North Dakota's Republican-controlled legislature passed a resolution in support of preserving these horses. Republican Senator John Hoven of North Dakota has included legislation in the U.S. Interior Department's Appropriations Bill that he said would, quote, would direct him to keep horses in the park in line with what was there at the time that Teddy Roosevelt was out in Medora. Continuing his quote, most all of the input we've got is that people want to retain horses. We've been clear. We think the park should retain the horses, the senator said. Well, isn't this interesting? The government loves the earth so much that it wants to get rid of these wild horses because, of course, methane comes out of them when they let go of the gas, and the gas, methane, is a greenhouse gas, and that must be reduced lest all of us die. So let's get rid of these wild horses that are living in harmony with the natural way. Before we get more uh, involved in Casablanca, I want to comment on this. Because Teddy Roosevelt started this park, this national refuge for these horses, for these horses and for the natural flora and fauna that are found in that park, which is great, right? It's preserving the natural. But, you know, let's not think Roosevelt was that much of a sweetheart. Roosevelt had a racial philosophy of white superiority. This is Teddy Roosevelt, one of our greatest presidents. He believed in the superiority of the white, the superiority of the white race. And he supported the eugenics movement, which advocated selective breeding to engineer a race of people with more desirable characteristics and the sterilization of less desirable people, such as criminals, people with developmental disabilities, and for some, people of color. Quote, this is Teddy Roosevelt, our president, who created this beautiful park for these horses. Society has no business to... See, when I get mad, would you, you know, this is amazing. This really makes me mad. Society has no business to permit degenerates to reproduce like these horses. They're degenerates. The government's contemplating sterilizing them. They're degenerates. He wrote this in 1913, and he continued, someday we will realize that the prime duty, the inescapable duty of the good citizen of the right type is to leave his or her blood behind him in the world and that we have no business to permit the perpetuation of citizens of the wrong type. He continues, men must be judged with reference to the age in which they dwell. And in the age in which Roosevelt dwelled, there was an, a movement to preserve the natural way because industrialization had taken off and it was encroaching on and destroying the natural environment. The eugenicists of that period viewed humanity 
within the context of the struggle of the fittest to survive, just like those wild horses. The strongest of the humans would perpetuate themselves through reproduction, which, you know, could be positively enhanced. And then, of course, we had people like the Nazis that said, as long as we got that going, let's just use genocide and hurry up the process. The kind of eugenics that Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, who lived it in the 19, early 1900s, the late 1880s, well, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 1900, 1910, 1920, that kind of eugenics movement was tied to an, an idea of noble savagery, noble savagery, like a Rick Blaine in Casablanca, a man who was a man and would reproduce being a man and was a man to everybody around him. Bravery, what we would call toxic masculinity today, a man. And he wanted to foster that kind of masculinity. And he wanted to foster it in the natural way, like a wild horse. It's a symbol of masculinity, isn't it? So he liked it. He made a national park out of it. But as things have developed over time, because, you know, you have an idea, and once you have an idea, interestingly, you can't trademark or patent a political idea. It's been pick, picked up by other people, and they've decided that this idea of the natural way is actually going to destroy and kill the planet. That if we live naturally as the noble savages that we could be, we're going to kill everybody. We have to remove nature such that nature can be preserved. Or as I like to say, my children love the earth so much, they hate people. That's what they do. They love the earth so much, they hate people. So we've had a transition over 100 years from an effort to use eugenics to preserve what was called the natural way. And the idea that defective humans were degrading the natural way, that Christianity, where we had this kind of love one for another, was kind of an unnatural, an unnatural kind of ideology. That the natural ideology was the struggle to see who would survive. The Darwinian idea. And it's won the day. It's won the day such that our scientists now believe, and the people that lead us today believe, that nature must be eliminated to save nature. I think that's great, isn't it? I mean, that's just really great, isn't it? I think it's great. Do you think it's great? You see, we have to be very careful how we talk about these things. So they're going to remove these horses from the land unless there's an effort to keep them there because, of course, their methane's killing the planet. Okay, great. Isn't that fantastic? I just thought I'd share that with you. And as you can see, I'm trying to be very careful because I like having my episodes up on YouTube. I like it. Let's just move along here and talk about narcissism. Narcissism. Well, narcissism is a psychological term. It involves selfishness and a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration as characterizing a personality type. Let's think about how we're living today in 2023. Selfishness. It's all about me. Oh, that's great. A sense of entitlement. Well, I guess if everybody gets an entitlement, we have a sense of entitlement, don't we? A lack of empathy. 
like we can't feel anything because we're high all the time on dopamine or dope. We have a need for admiration. We post, hey, one could say Professor Penn has a need for admiration because I enjoy seeing myself on YouTube. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of a natural thing. It characterizes a personality type. It gets a little darker in psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis says it's a self-centeredness arising from a failure to distinguish the self from external objects, either in very young babies or as a feature of a mental disorder. So what the psychoanalyst says is, hey, if you're a narcissist, you're a baby. You know, you never really learned to distinguish yourself from, out, you know, inside and outside didn't work for you very good. You're everything. It's all about you, is what they're saying. And doesn't that characterize so much of what we're going through here today? Well, let's talk about Casablanca. Casablanca was uh, an iconic movie. It was released in 1942. Now, let's remember, for those of us that need a review, the United States was isolationist as regards European folly from after World War I through December 7, 1941. And what happened on December 7, 1941? I'm going to ask you. You don't have to answer. I mean, it's not a test. I'm just going to say, if you're watching this transmission, are we familiar with the date December 7th, 1941? Tanner, it's not a right or wrong. I'm not going to get down on you. Do you know that date? I do not know that date. That's great. Isn't that great? I'm so glad that you learned. And let's not blame it on your lack of interest in history. Let's blame it on your school that made sure you weren't interested in history. Because how can we not be interested in history? That's who we are. December 7th, 1941 was the date that the Japanese Imperial Navy attacked Pearl Harbor and sunk most of the U.S. Pacific Fleet that was at dock, killing thousands and thousands of American sailors as they woke up on a bright and sunny, beautiful day in Honolulu. And up until that day, there was a very large portion of our public that said, we don't want to get involved in these European wars or in these Asian wars. Hey, that's not good for my family. I don't want to be the policeman of the world. I want to be focused on America. And in fact, they called the movement America First. It was a nationalist movement. President Trump repurposed America First, hearkening for those of us that are old enough to remember the America First movement of the 1920s and 1930s, which involved very intense elements of anti-Semitism. Just did. That's just a fact. And, of course, Morning Joe and the people that are in the globalist wing of our government governance like to throw shade on the nationalists because there's anti-Semitic, racist, xenophobic, and homophobic tendencies in the America First movement of that period. That's why I always say we can't make the same mistake two times. So if you're a racist or you're a homophobe or an anti-Semite, the American Nazi Party's waiting for you with open arms. But I digress. This is about narcissism. And what, what Casablanca was was a, a propaganda movie 
That was just iconic. It, it had the story of a man played by the leading male actor of his day, Humphrey Bogart, who was in love with the woman, Ingrid Bergman, Ilsa, who was gorgeous. Gorgeous. And they had a very tortured romance. And it was their story in the story of Rick's journey from narcissism to altruism. But they wanted to establish that Rick, as a noble savage in his narcissist state, was still a pretty smooth dude. And look at the things that they highlight. Could you just play this clip, clip or this, it's actually a short, that Rick doesn't sell people? Hello, Rick. Hello, Ferrari. How's business at the Blue Parrot? Fine, but I'd like to buy your cafe. It's not for sale. <laughs> Haven't heard my offer. It's not for sale at any price. What do you want for Sam? I don't buy or sell human beings. Too bad that's Casablanca's leading commodity. Refugees alone, we can make a fortune. You'd work with me through the black market. Suppose you run your business and let me run mine. Suppose we ask Sam, maybe he'd like to make a change. Suppose we do. My dear Rick, when will you realize that in this world today, isolationism is no longer a practical policy? There's so much packed in there, we could pay homage to this for an hour and a half. Let's just start with the last slide. Isolationism is no longer a practical policy. They just threw that in there. That's the one line in the entire script that they just worked it in has nothing to do with the story. But that's what the movie was trying to say. Isolation, isolationism was no longer practical because the Japanese had just bombed the bleep out of the United States in Pearl Harbor, and it wasn't practical to be an isolationist because we were at war. But if you listen to that very carefully, they're establishing that the narcissist, and what does a narcissist do? They only think of themselves. Well, he wasn't really totally a narcissist. Even though he'd given up on being an altruist because Ilsa had previously broken his heart, his heart was broken. So he was only thinking about himself. But he had noble qualities. He didn't buy or sell human beings. And Ferrari even makes some comment about the profitability that's involved with buying and selling refugees. Actually, in this movie, if you watch it, and I please ask you to watch it, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a French, this is Casablanca, this is taking place in what's called Free France. The Germans had conquered France. Remember we talked about that last time? We talked about that. You didn't know that either, that the Germans had actually invaded and conquered France. Oh, I, I knew that part, yeah. You did? Oh, I didn't know that part, You yeah. did. Well, that's not what you said last time. I'm did I? Oh, I must have misunderstood what you were asking last Great. time. Great. 41, they invaded the Blitzkrieg, and they conquered France. But they didn't conquer all of France, because guess what? France was a colonial power. So it had colonies all over the world. So they were still free France. One of their colonies was, you know, Algeria, and Casablanca was called Free France. And the French dude who was in charge of Casablanca, you'll find out if you watch the movie, used to pick the best-looking young refugees, women in this case, could have been men, but that was a little too far at this time, and he'd pluck them out for his own personal sexual use. So even in 1942, they knew that the refugee business was good for making a lot of money, moving refugees around the world, and that you could pick out the young people 
and sexually abused them. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting, Tanner, that all the way back in 1942, we knew as the American people that having refugees was a very profitable business. Like if you had a border that was poorly policed, like in Algeria, and refugees were coming and going, trying to get someplace else to a better life. There was commission made on that travel, and the young people were sexually abused. That's incredible to me that this, this, is, this is an old idea. And, you know, over the course of time, the ideas are the same, but the technology gets better such that we get more enhanced techniques of doing everything we're trying to do. Now, I, I have this kind of sarcastic tone in my voice because, hey, this is a transmission, an underground transmission, so to speak, that you can take and send out to hundreds of people because we want to spread the word. We're a political broadcast after all. So Rick doesn't sell people. Isn't that cool? So what they're saying here is Rick is a supporter of the concept that the United States is in the process of overthrowing the British business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy. That slavery part, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He doesn't buy and sell people, which, of course, he could do. And Sam, he was the piano player at the beginning. And while Sam calls him boss, they're actually partners in the cafe. There's no discrimination around Rick in his cafe. He's partners with his black piano artist. The talent is actually in on the take. He doesn't abuse them. They're friends, as you're going to see later to, in this podcast. They're very close. So white and black are together. There's no slavery. Rick is a cool dude. He'd fit right in today. And let's just recognize how much the ideas that are dominating our thinking today were relevant in 1942. Play this piece about the Deutsche Bank. Bon, madame. Monsieur. Bon, monsieur. You stop it just for a second. Just so you know, this is the first time we see Humphrey Bogart in this movie. This is the first view of Rick. Kind of like the first time we see The Godfather at the beginning of The Godfather when he's talking to Bonacera. You might enjoy that. So Rick signs the note, and he's playing chess, which is a game of war, looking very fly in his tuxedo, and uh, smoking a cigarette, which, uh, you know, was very macho and masculine at that time. Could you please continue? Stop it again. Okay. Now, this is the gambling room. Gambling, of course, was illegal. But Rick had a gambling casino in his cafe. And you see on the screen there a very uh, imperious-looking dude in a black tux. He's actually a German banker from Deutsche Bank, a bank that exists in the modern era, the Deutsche Bank, a central banker. 
Let's watch how this goes down. Excuse me. Sorry, sir, this is a private room. My fault in there. Who do you think? I know there is family in there. There is no secret. You dare not kick me out of here. Yes, what's the trouble? Uh, this gentleman... I have been in every family room between Honolulu and Berlin. And if you think I'm going to be kept out of a saloon like this, you're very much mistaken. Uh, uh, excuse me, please. Hello, Hello Audrey. Audrey. Your cash is good at the bar. What? Do you know who I am? I do. You're lucky the bar's open to you. This is outrageous. I shall report it to the angry. <laughs> you know, Rick, watching you just now with the Deutsche Bank, one would think you've been doing this all your life. Well, what makes you think I haven't? Oh, nothing. <laughs> but when you first came to Casablanca, I thought... You thought what? <laughs> what right do I have to think? <laughs> May I? Too bad about those two German couriers, wasn't it? They got a lucky break. Yesterday, they were just two German clerks. Today, they're the honored dead. <laughs> you are a very cynical person, Rick. If, if you forgive me for saying so. I forgive you. Thank you. Will you have a drink with me, please? No. Oh, I forgot you never drink with any... I'll have another, please. Yes, monsieur. You despise me, don't you? Well, if I gave you any thought, I probably would. But why? <laughs> oh, you object to the kind of business I do, huh? But think of all those poor refugees who must rot in this place if I didn't help them. Well, that's not so bad. Through ways of my own, I provide them with exit visas. For a price, Ugarty. For a price. <laughs> but think of all the poor devils who can't be to a nose price. Oh, I get it for them for half. Is that so parasitic? I don't mind a parasite. I object to a cut-rate one. Well, Rick, after tonight, I'll be through with the whole business, and I'm leaving, finally, this... Casablanca. Who's bribed for your visa? Renault or yourself? Myself. Found myself much more reasonable. Look, Rick. You know what this is? Something that even you have never seen. <laughs> Letters of transit signed by General Vigon. Cannot be rescinded. Not even questioned. Uh, one moment. Tonight I'll be selling those for more money than even I have ever dreamed of. And then, adio, Casablanca. You know, Rick, I have many a friend in Casablanca, but somehow, just because you despise me, you are the only one I trust. Will you keep these for me, please? For how long? Oh, perhaps an hour, perhaps a little longer. I don't want them here overnight. Mm, don't be afraid of that. Please keep them for me. Thank you. I knew I could trust you. Waiter, I'll be expecting some people. If uh, anybody asks for me, I'll be right here. Yes, monsieur. Rick, I hope you are more impressed with me now. If you'll forgive me, I'll share my good luck with your roulette wheel. Just a moment. Hey, I heard a rumor those two German couriers were carrying letters of transit. Huh? Oh, huh. I've heard that rumor, too. Poor devils. Yes, you're right, Ugarty. I am a little more impressed with you. I'm giving you a little flavor of this movie. I hope you like it. I do. And if you notice at the beginning of the scene, Rick will not admit a central banker into his casino. And he said to him, you're lucky you can even go to my bar. And in a previous scene, he had similarly spoken against another banker from Antwerp. So the theme of criticizing bankers is a very old theme. 
It's a very old theme, and it's brought forth to the American people in this iconic movie. That's why I'm asking you to watch it, because there's a lot to unpack in here. And all those two letters of transit were signed by General Charles de Gaulle. Tanner, does that name ring a bell? It does not. It does not. General Charles de Gaulle was the leader of the Free French Forces. After France was conquered by the Nazis, many of the French soldiers in the military establishment escaped to England at the Battle of Dunkirk, and de Gaulle actually was hugely involved in French politics and became the president of France after the war. He's a very famous person, and they're actually using his name in this movie. So this was a movie of current events that drew on very realistic themes that people in the United States were aware of. This was a relevant movie. People could relate to it because it involved the things that were going on in their lives. This is a movement from alt- from narcissism to altruism. Well, it's a journey, right? This is the story of Blaine, and uh, he's in love with Ilsa Lund, and Ilsa Lund was a beautiful young woman. She was married to a, a, a freedom fighter, a resistance leader named, in the movie, Victor Laszlo, and she thought Victor Laszlo had died. So she fell in love with Rick Blaine, played by Humphrey Bogart, and then, as happens sometimes in life, her husband was not dead, and she found herself involved with two men simultaneously. But not the way it normally happens. The way it normally happens is is just human lust, right? In this case, she thought her husband was dead, and she fell in love with Rick. She Completely honestly, I mean, you know, if the guy died, come on, she's free, right? Now... They all end up together in Casablanca, and Victor Laszlo is trying to escape the Nazis. And Rick ends up with these letters of transit, which is the only way that Victor Laszlo can escape to freedom and continue his work as a leader of the underground. And this puts Rick in a very tough spot because he loves this woman and she broke his heart, and she, he doesn't want to let her go. He actually wants to torture her a little bit. Because, you know, she left him. She left him, and that's why he's a narcissist, because he's only thinking about his own feelings. Let's play this piece, Knock on Wood. Let's just enjoy the music. Also, it's a great musical score in this particular movie, Casablanca. A moment. Hey, I heard a rumor those two German couriers were carrying letters of transit. Huh? Oh, huh. I've heard that rumor, too. Poor devils. Yes, you're right, Ugarty. I am a little more impressed with you. Say, who's got trouble? We got trouble. How much trouble? Too much trouble. Well, now, don't you frown. Just knuckle down and knock on wood. Who's unhappy? We're unhappy. How unhappy? Uh-oh, that won't do. When you are blue, just knock on wood. Who's unlucky? We're unlucky. How unlucky? Too unlucky. But your luck will change if you arrange to knock on wood. 
Who's got nothing? We got nothing. How much nothing? Too much nothing. Say nothing's not an awful lot, but knock on wood. <laughs> now, now who's happy? We're happy. Just how happy? Very happy. That's the way we're gonna stay, so knock on wood. Now who's lucky? We're all lucky. Just how lucky? Very lucky. Well, smile up then, and once again, let's knock on wood. Hello, Rick. Hello, Ferrari. How's business at the Blue Parrot? Fine, but I'd like to buy your cafe. It's not for sale. Haven't heard my offer. It's not for sale at any price. What do you want for Sam? I don't buy or sell human beings. Too bad that's Casablanca's leading commodity. Refugees alone, we can make a fortune. You'd work with me through the black market. Suppose you run your business and let me run mine. Suppose we ask Sam, maybe he'd like to make a change. Suppose we do. My dear Rick, when will you realize that in this world today, isolationism is no longer a practical policy? Sam Ferrari wants you to work for him at the Blue Parrot. Oh, I like it fine, yeah. You'll double what I pay you. Yeah, but I ain't got time to spend the money I make here. Sorry. There it is. Not only did he refuse Biden selling people, but he actually went over to Sam and gave Sam the choice himself. He gave Sam the chance to take more money. He gave Sam the freedom. He didn't really give it to him, right? The freedom is granted to us as an unalienable right. So he honored that, and he respected Sam. He treated Sam the way he wants Sam to treat him. So although we've got a narcissist, as we're about to see, a man whose heart is broken, and in the breaking of his heart, he gave up his idealism, the idealism of his youth, because he had fought with the uh, loyalists against the fascists in Spain. He'd run guns to Ethiopia. He was actually involved in the freedom movement. He was involved in the freedom movement, and then Ilsa broke his heart, and he said, oh, that's it, I'm out. It's all about me. I'm going to make a bunch of money, and I'm going to take care of myself because no one else is going to do it. So this whole movie uh, is about this movement, this journey from altruism into narcissism and back to altruism, and it's a message to we the people that when you're struggling against Nazism, when we're struggling against Nazism, when we're studying, struggling against eugenics and genocide and the abrogation of human rights, when we're struggling against those that do not value freedom of speech or freedom of assembly, when they do not value a plurality of political discourse, when they're a uni party, one party, there's one party, a uni party, the Nazi party, when you're struggling against this kind of an evil, what the movie is saying is, we want to give up our addiction to our personal suffering and put that aside and join the movement. Join the movement. Hey, what a great movie. I hope you watch it. And let's just look about, look for a minute about what an intense narcissist Rick has become because of his personal suffering. Let's play this piece, I'm a Drunkard. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Unofficially, of course. Make it official, if you like. What is your nationality? 
I'm a drunkard. <laughs> and that makes Rick a citizen of the world. I was born in New York City, if that'll help you, honey. I understand that you came here from Paris at the time of the occupation. Well, there seems to be no secret about that. Are you one of those people who cannot imagine the Germans and their beloved Paris? Not particularly my beloved Paris. Can you imagine us in London? When you get there, ask me. Oh, diplomatist. How about New York? Well, there are certain sections of New York, Major, that I wouldn't advise you to try to invade. Uh-huh. Who do you think will win the war? I haven't the slightest idea. Rick is completely neutral about everything, and that takes in the field of women, too. You are not always so carefully neutral. We have a complete dossier on you. Richard Blaine, American, age 37, cannot return to his country. The reason is a little vague. We also know what you did in Paris, Mr. Blaine, and also we know why you left Paris. Don't worry, we are not going to broadcast it. Oh, my eyes really brown. You will forgive my curiosity, Mr. Blaine. The point is, an enemy of the Reich has come to Casablanca, and we are checking up on anybody who can be of any help to us. Well, my interest in whether Victor Laszlo stays or goes is purely a sporting one. In this case, you have no sympathy for the fox, huh? Not particularly. I understand the point of view of the hound, too. Well, that's Major Heinrich Strasser in a very spirited conversation with Rick. And uh, they have a dossier on him. They've collected information on him. You know, like I said, Tanner, an ICBM and a rock are the same thing. The only difference is the technology. They have a great dossier. They know all about him. They got his history. They've researched him. Of course, it's in a written format. But hey, technology marches on. Technology marches on. They had a dossier on Rick. And what Rick did was he said, hey, you know, you got me confused with that person that used to have a set of principles. A woman has broken my heart. Now I'm a drunkard. I'm a citizen of the world. I don't have an opinion. My name is Paul, and it's between y'all. That's what Rick, you know, was saying to the world. My feelings are hurt. I'm self-absorbed. Maybe I have anxiety. Maybe my heart's broken by a woman. Maybe my mommy and daddy didn't love me. Maybe I'm a drug addict. Whatever the thing is, maybe I'm caught up in entertainment 24 hours a day. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, Rick had no interest in working to preserve the unalienable rights granted to us by a creator, life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, he was out of that business. He was into the Rick Blaine business, the material business, making money running a casino in a bar. He was into the money. He went into the money business. And let's just show you how he got there because it's very important to have some context. Let's play this clip. Shoot me. How did you get in? The stairs from the street. I told you this morning you'd come around, but this is a little ahead of schedule. Well, won't you sit down? Richard, I had to see well, you. It was Richard again. We're back in Paris. Please. Your unexpected visit isn't connected by any chance with the letters of transit. Seems as long as I have those letters, I'll never be lonely. You can ask any price you want, but you must give me those letters. I went all through that with your husband. It's no deal. But I know how you feel about me, but I'm asking you to put your feelings aside for something more important. Do I have to hear again what a great man your husband is, what an important cause he's fighting for? It was your cause, too. In your own way, you were fighting for the same thing. 
I'm not fighting for anything anymore except myself. You stop that. It was his cause too. He gave it up, and he's only fighting for himself now. You see, this movie is very blunt about these ideas, but they do it in a very artistic way. Please continue. The only cause I'm interested in. Richard, Richard, we loved each other once. If those days meant anything at all to me. I wouldn't bring up Paris if I were you. It's poor salesmanship. Please, please listen to me. If you knew what really happened, if you only knew the truth. I wouldn't believe you no matter what you told me. You'd say anything now to get what you want. You want to feel sorry for yourself, don't you? There's so much at stake, all you can think of is your own feeling. One woman has hurt you and you take your revenge on the rest of the world. You're a, you're a coward and weakling. No. No, Richard, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but, but you, you are our last hope. If you don't help us, Victor Laszlo will die in Casablanca. What of it? I'm going to die in Casablanca. It's a good spot for it. We get right down into it here, don't we? Right down the rabbit hole. Because this woman's involved with two men, and there's a sexual component to this where she just can't get Rick Blaine out of her gears because, hey, it's Humphrey Bogart after all. I mean, come on. And this is really where we're at here now. We've got a personal relationship, and the animus and the jealousies and the confounding of these people that are actually getting in the way of the movement. And, you know, I can just say this from my personal life in terms of the people that love me. People that love me don't want me doing this because they know it's got an element of danger to it. And the time that I'm taking away to be involved in the politics of the Minnesota Republican Party, there's a tension between myself and my loved ones about this. Why are you doing this, Dad? Why are you doing this, David? Why are you doing this? This this is, oh, I even hear it. This doesn't make any money. No, it doesn't. You really can't change things. Yeah, probably not. But I'm doing what I can. And that's what this movie is about, is about every American citizen fighting the Nazis. Fighting the Nazis. And who were the Nazis? They were eugenicists that believed in the scientific method, applied to creating a master race. 
This is a theme that one might study and recognize that it is not limited to 1942. So what are we, the American people? Now, of course, this is in 42, but let's just say timelessly. What are we, the American people, willing to do to preserve a constitution and a declaration that grants us unalienable rights and identifies those rights as emanating from a creator? What are we willing to do? Well, that's what the movie's all about, the movement from narcissism to altruism. So let's just take a look at how intense this was for Humphrey Bogart. Let's take a look at Rick drinking, the drinking scene. This is what we call big drinking. Boss? Boss, ain't you going to bed? Not right now. Ain't you planning on going to bed in the near future? No. You ever going to bed? No. Well, I ain't sleepy either. That's it. Uh, have a drink. No, not me, boss. I don't have a drink. Boss, let's get out of here. No, sir. I'm waiting for a lady. Please, boss, let's go. Ain't nothing but trouble for you here. Coming back, I know she's coming back. We'll take the car and drive all night. We'll get drunk. We'll go fishing and stay away until she's Shut gone. Get up and go home, will you? No, sir. I'm staying right here. I grab Ugotti, then she walks in. Well, that's the way it goes. One in, one out. Sam. Yes, boss? It's December 1941 in Casablanca. What time is it in New York? What? My watch stopped. I bet they're asleep in New York. I bet they're asleep all over America. Stop, please. I bet they're asleep in New York. I bet they're asleep all over America. This script is blunt, but in its bluntness, it's artistic and beautiful. I bet they're asleep all over America. And who's going to wake them up? Let's continue, please. gin joints in all the towns in all the world. She walks into mine. What's that you're playing? Oh, just a little something on my own. Oh, stop it. You know what I want to hear. No, I don't. You played it for her, you played it for me. Well, I don't think I can remember. If she can stand it, I can. Play it. Yes, boss. flashback there to when they were together in Paris, just before the Germans rolled in and 
took control of the city. Uh, Ilsa thought her husband was dead. They had fallen in love, was beautiful. And then, of course, when she found out her husband was still alive, she went back to him and broke Rick's heart. And Rick's there drinking, and he's drinking within the context of knowing that everybody's asleep. This is a tortured soul. He's tortured. He's tortured by personal events within the context of just a general breakdown of everything that's good. And, you know, if you think about it just as a sidebar, when people show up in Mao jackets, we know they're communists. When people show up wearing swastikas, we know they're Nazis. That's kind of blunt, isn't it? Wouldn't it be much smarter to wear a business suit? We wouldn't know who you were. Oh, that would be called 2.0. So Rick is going through this transition from narcissism to altruism, and there's a very important scene where he makes that transition. Because for him, it's all about the money now. He's materialist. He's given up his spiritual ideas of fighting for freedom. It's all about him. It's all about the money. And he's about to do something with his money that's a very beautiful thing. In fact, they say, boss, you've done a beautiful thing. And the backdrop of this is there's a young refugee, a couple, a young couple. The girl's not even of drinking age. She's just a child, beautiful, and her husband's very young and they're trying to make their way to America, and they don't have the money, and they can't get there, and she is contemplating selling her sexual identity to a French bastard who's going to exploit her in exchange for letters of transit. Let's play this piece, this transition to altruism. How's Lady Luck treating you? Oh, too bad. Over there. That's the French bastard. Monsieur Rick? Yes? Could I speak to you for just a moment, please? Don't you get in here. You're underage. I came with Captain Reno. I should have known. My husband is with me, too. He is? Well, Captain Reno's getting broad-minded. Sit down. Thank you. you have a drink? No, of course not. Do you mind if I do? No. Monsieur Rick. What kind of a man is Captain Reno? Oh, he's just like any other man, only more so. No, I mean, is he trustworthy? Is his word? Oh, just a minute. Who told you to ask me that? He did. Captain Reno did. Yes, I thought so. Where's your husband? At the roulette table, trying to win enough for our exit visas. Oh, of course, he's losing. How long have you been married? Eight weeks. We come from Bulgaria. Well, things are very bad there, monsieur. The devil has the people by the throat. So, Jan and I, we... We did not want our children to grow up in such a country. And so you decided to go to America? Yes, but we have not much money, and... Traveling is so expensive and difficult. It was much more than we thought to get here. And then Captain Renault sees us, and he is so kind, he wants to help us. Yes, I'll bet. He tells me he can give us an exit visa, but... But we have no money. Does he know that? Oh, yes. And he's still willing to give you a visa? Yes, monsieur. And you want to know? Will he keep his word? He always has. Oh. Monsieur, you are a man. If someone loved you very much, so that your happiness was the only thing that she wanted in the world, she did a bad thing to make certain of it. Could you forgive her? Nobody ever loved me that much. And he never knew. And the girl kept this bad thing locked in her heart. That would be all right, wouldn't it? 
Do you want my advice? Oh, yes, please. Go back to Bulgaria. Oh, but if you knew what it means to us to leave Europe, to get to America. Oh, but if Jan should find out. He is such a boy. In many ways, I, I am so much older than he is. Yes, well, everybody in Casablanca has problems. Yours may work out. You'll excuse me. Thank you, monsieur. Marco, les jeunes, mesdames et messieurs, les jeux sont faits. La partie continue. Mesdames et messieurs, marquons les jeux. Les jeux sont faits. Marquons les jeux. Les jeux sont faits. Le 8 en plein. Et à l'échelon, on paye en plein le 8. Do you wish to place another bet, sir? No, no, I guess not. Have you tried 22 tonight? I said 22. Marquons les jeux, mesdames et messieurs. Les jeux sont faits. La partie continue. Marquons les jeux. Fini. 22. Noir père et passe. Le prince 2. Leave it there. Marquons les jeux, mesdames et messieurs. Les jeux sont faits. Marquons les jeux. La partie continue. Marquons les jeux. Les jeux sont faits. Rien ne va plus. 'Cause uh, he did a beautiful thing. Uh, he owned that casino, so that was his money that he put forward. That was the moment at which he gave up his uh, narcissism and started to become altruistic to think about other people. And of course, the the waiter, the probably the guy was probably a PhD professor, but in his running away from Europe, he was working at the casino as a waiter. Uh, First, he offers Rick a cup of coffee, and then when Rick sits down at the bar, he tries to take the alcohol away from him because the next step, of course, is to sober up because there's no reason to run away from your feelings when you're living with the golden rule. The golden rule being loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your might and all your soul and to treat your neighbor as you want your neighbor to treat you. When you've made that transition, hey, you know, the the things we do to mask our feelings, not as important. So the waiter is already trying to take away his drink. Of course, Rick wasn't ready to give that up yet. He, You know, 
It's a process. It's a process. We're in a process here. It's a process. And, you know, you saw the bartender come around and kiss him and say, boss, you've done a beautiful thing. Because what, the, what he did was he allowed a couple to continue to America without that young woman having to sell herself to the authorities. And it was, you know, putting that woman's honor and her purity and her marriage ahead of his own money. Cost a lot of money to get that job done. And they all saw that. All of his co-workers saw that. And they knew that there had been a big change. And that was at the individual level. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what I've done. That's why we're doing this podcast together. Because I know there are people out in this audience that are hearing me, hearing these words. And I don't mean me. Okay? Just let's get that out of it. It's not about me. It's not about me, 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 me. It's about us and our community and the words that I'm transmitting that I heard right here in this movie in Casablanca when I was but just a little guy. I was probably 11 or 12 years old, just becoming a man. And I saw this image of masculinity and the, 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 this, the, I didn't understand this parable at the time. I didn't understand it, but I realize now it had a big effect on me because when the moment came when I had to make the transition from narcissism to altruism, I had a cultural map to do it. This is a cultural map of how we come together as a community to confront eugenics and genocide and the use of the scientific method to create a master race, which is what Nazism is. Could we say it's relevant in all times? Yes. The movement from narcissism to altruism is always relevant, and it could not be more relevant today. This movie, this movie, if it was, if I was, you know, if I was, had that kind of power, this thing would rocket to the top of the charts, and it would be the number one movie in America tomorrow. Because it's really not about an individual making this move. That's one person. That would be called a suicide mission. It's about enough of us making this move that the political landscape is changed by our altruism. So let's just take a look at what that looks like. The last clip we're going to pay, play from Casablanca today. Can you tee that up? I think you're going to get it exactly what I'm trying to get at here.
Laszlo's presence in a cafe can inspire this unfortunate demonstration, what more will his presence in Casablanca bring on? I advise that this place be shut up at once. But everybody's having such a good time. Yes, much too good a time. The place is to be closed. But I've no excuse to close it. Find one. Sorry, monsieur. Sorry. Everybody is to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody <laughs> out at once. It's a classic scene. I'm shocked. You're winning, sir. Classic, right? That's our politicians for us. So at the end of this movie, and I, I'm going to, this is not the punchline of the movie. The, the closing scene, I'm going to leave it for you. You know, I wish I could take a survey of all the people that are watching the podcast. And I want to thank you for watching and for joining and spread it out. Our engagement is really growing much more quickly now. And, uh, you know, it's my goal to make this a very significant political movement. And how do we do that? Spread the word one to another. The clips and the shorts are going to be coming through your feeds. You can go to my social media at, at X, Twitter, at, you know, any of them, any of them, get her. You go to my social media page, my profile, and there's all kinds of information that you can pass out to everybody you know and encourage them to pass it out. This is what the underground did. The underground was a method of dis disseminating information amongst the people that still believed in God. And this was this classic scene. You had the Germans were using music to advance their political agenda. And Victor Laszlo storms down the stairs, and he goes to the band and says, let's play the Marseille. Of course, the band looks to Rick, because Rick's the boss. Rick gave it the okay. And then for a while, it was almost like a duet. But guess what? There's way more of us than there is of them. Again, there are way more of us than there is of them. They are elites. These Nazis are elites. They dress, you know, to show their elite status. They have powers, but their powers wither when confronted with faith, the faith of the people, the faith that the people have in freedom and human dignity in those unalienable rights granted to us by a creator, those being life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. They falter when confronted by resistance. It was called the French resistance. They resisted. Now, for those of us in the live chat, I mean, someone's going to say the French are not resisting today. Well, that's because the war never ended. The war never ended. We were taught the war ended, and we believed it because, of course, we could go back to our narcissistic ways. We didn't want to be altruists all the time. That's too much work. What we wanted to do is get back to our narcissism. So we were taught that the war ended, that Nazism was defeated, and that freedom had prevailed. Freedom had prevailed. Well... Now, why am I not saying anything? And that would be because I want to stay on YouTube and, as a Jewish man, focus on Nazism. 
I really don't think that there's anybody that's going to get on the other side of a Jewish man confronting Nazism. Wouldn't you agree with me? Do you see what a great role I have? Because when I talk about Nazism as a Jewish man, I don't think that that could really be viewed negatively because Jews are supposed to oppose Nazism. Isn't that the whole point of globalism? Ha <laughs> ha! Wow! Great. Isn't that great? I just love this. So this, 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 this is one of the plot points of the movie where the entire community is moving towards altruism. The entire community is giving, and every person in, that, in those scenes, you know, in the subplots of the movie, we see how they're narcissistic. And then they're suddenly coming together as a group, as a political movement to oppose Nazism. And that's why I think Casablanca has a tremendous relevance, and I'm going to urge all of you to watch it and to encourage your friends and your family and your neighbors to watch it because it has everything in it that we need to look at the history of our country in, you know, history, past, present, future. Hey, what's the difference? It's really current history. It's so recent, it's current. It's so recent, it's relevant. And we can learn so much from what the Nazis did. We just talked in a, a recent po podcast about how the Nazis Nazified Germany. When the German people elected the Nazis, they elected them. They consensually made them the rulers of the country, brought them into the political process. And when Hitler took control of the country in 1933. They had a process of synchronizing and harmonizing the country quickly to spread Nazism from sea to shining sea, from the north to the south, from the east to the west of Germany. And one of the first things they did was they outlawed any party other than the Nazi party. Well, what's come to light here in Minnesota is so interesting because we are a political podcast. So let me just talk about a current event here in Minnesota. It turns out that in the last legislative session here in Minnesota, which suddenly has a Democrat governor, a Democrat legislature, and a Democrat Senate, all Democrat, there is language that was in the omnibus bill, which demands that major political parties have their current constitution on file with the Secretary of State and a certification that that constitution is being followed by the party in all of its activities. Now, those of us who know what's going on in the country know that the Republican Party has an internal conflict going on between the globalist wing of the party and the nationalist wing of the party. This is going on all over the country. We've got a power structure wing, and we've got a bunch of nationalists, and they're at odds. And in many of the different areas of the country, there's allegations that party constitutions are not being followed, that there's unconstitutional activities that are going on that are limiting the political discourse and the political development of these parties. Isn't that interesting? 
that all of a sudden here in Minnesota, my state, my land of country, there could be a process that could lead to the decertification of the Republican Party as a major political unit, which would mean the Republican Party would lose its ability to have election judges and to appear in ballot boards and all the benefits of being the other major party. All of that would go away. Isn't that interesting? And the question's going to be, will the officers of the Republican Party be able to come together and negotiate a constitutional process that everybody can agree to so that we can move forward as a party? Now, I, I'm hearing a lot of party stalwarts say that this is a foregone conclusion, but they're not hearing the other chatter that I'm hearing the people that are saying it's time to get down and adjudicate this dispute within the party because there's a lot of very wronged people, people that feel very wrong, feel disrespected. Like my young friend who put out the Emmer piece and then had the wings ripped off his back. You know, there's people that have grievances. I tried to meet with... Uh, a very prominent member of the Uni Party, oh, excuse me, of the traditionalist wing of the party, uh, this uh, Sunday, yesterday, tried to meet with her. They tried to set up a sit-down so that there could be a rapprochement. And, you know, I went there, and nobody showed up but me. They didn't show up. How could I be so disliked? Someone so really—Tanner, am I a reasonable person? You're pretty reasonable. Pretty reasonable, aren't I? Would you consider me to be an ideologue or a pragmatist? No, I don't. Am I pragmatic? I wouldn't think so. Yeah, you think I'm an, an ideologue, like I'm a person of ideas. I'm going to make a statement. I'm actually quite pragmatic. I'm a business person, after all. That doesn't mean I don't have principles. It means I'm willing to work forward with the people in the party to find a way where all of us can sit at the table and move forward and move from narcissism to altruism. And those people that don't want to do that, that want to maintain their narcissism, well, who wins on that deal? Who wins on that deal? Now, of course, the traditionalists are calling the nationalists Democrats. And the nationalists are calling the traditionalists Democrats. There's a lot of uh, name-calling going on. I'd like to get away from the name-calling. What we need is an American citizens' movement of Americans that want to make the country well, a well-being community. That's what we need. We're way away from that. I mean, we're living in a time where the organization of the country is chaos. And one could say, what kind of organization is chaos? Hey, it's controlled chaos. The chaos that we're living through is controlled. It's not out of control. I still drove to work today. I had safe passage to work. Real chaos is when I get in my car and drive to work, a, bang, a band of hungry marauders descend upon my car, drag me out, kill me, and eat me. That's chaos. We're far from that. We have controlled chaos. And it's controlled chaos with a purpose. So for those of us that want to have a well-being society, 
that want our children to be educated, that want our children to be healthy. Let's come together and find a way that we can move forward with goodwill. And if that means some people have to be left off the bus, so they shall. So spread out the transmission, the broadcast, and let's find more and more people that are willing to come to caucuses on February 27, 2024, and join the political process by becoming delegates, by getting a vote, and having a stake in the game. Make your will be felt. Get in the game. And that is how we are going to preserve our unalienable rights. And I want to thank you very much for joining me. I look forward to seeing you soon again. Spread it out. Thank you very much.